matter that's being discussed is not something that is uh, discussed as often in the modern church today. And it's perhaps been that way all along, and perhaps it's fallen to a remnant within the church. And it, it's something that's just laid on my heart as of recently to kind of revisit this and to, to, to reevaluate my own life and also from a, a, a renewed stimulus in, in this particular, uh, you know, biblical doctrine to also to preach from it because I, I, I can see that there are, uh, there, there's some breaches somewhere along the way. Not breaches, some breaches. I have to watch breaches. I was raised, my dad used to say, well, give my short-legged breeches. That's what we call, dad calls shorts. Now, you, you see where I was raised, you know, and short-legged breeches. Come on, somebody. Stand up with us, please. 2 Chronicles 31, chapter 31, verse number 18, is a passage of Scripture here. One verse that we're going to elaborate on here shortly. It's the 31st chapter, the 18th verse. So what I got there on the screen for you? Okay. And uh, chapter 31, 2 Chronicles, verse number 18. Here it says, And to all who were written in the genealogy, their little ones and their wives, their sons and daughters, the whole company of them. Let me know that's everybody. For in their faithfulness, they sanctified themselves in holiness. I want you to look at that with me, just that latter portion of this particular verse. And this is not familiar Bible doctrine in today's culture, and that's kind of rather unfortunate for us. So that makes a pastor like me seem a little, um, not extreme, not even odd, uh, maybe odd, that just kind of goes with it at times, but, you know, maybe um, maybe just a little bit on the edge there, and there's something in this, church family, that we've got to research for ourselves, the doctrine of sanctification. They've been talking about it. We've been talking about it. We've defined it. We've, we've looked at it, but notice the, the wording here. They sanctified themselves, you know. I believe in the supernatural power of the Holy Spirit to sanctify us in Christ. How many believe that? That the blood of Jesus set us apart for his glory. We do. We know that. That's a work of the Holy Spirit. There's nothing that you and I could do but believe, right? However, there's a part of sanctification that we, come on, that we have to commit our will to, our desire our passionate pursuit of God. And I want us to reevaluate that today. And this is not about you looking at the church as a whole, looking at your neighbor. It's about us looking at ourselves. Saying, God, I want, I want a deeper communion with you. So the text today, the message just says, sanctify yourself in holiness. I'll explain that more in a moment. Let's pray. Father, it's already been prayed today. Let preaching come easy. That's our prayer. We add our agreement to it today. The hearts of the people, let them be prepared to receive the engrafted word, for James said, is able to save our souls. It's in Jesus' name, and everyone said, amen. You know, last week I did something what I think is important every now and then. I think it's important for you as an individual, an American citizen. How many of you know you got to look at history at times? If you don't look back, uh, you know, in the sense of knowing where you came from, then you might not appreciate where you are, and you might not adequately see ahead to where you need to be. And 
So I took you into the, uh, one of the, the strongest, what became debates within early Pentecostalism, but I took you into the history of the Pentecostal movement to actually discover what produced what we call the modern Pentecostal movement, which did not necessarily begin at Azusa Street. But, and I know that if you're not familiar with Pentecostalism in this sense, and you might not be familiar even with that term, so I can't go back and re-preach that message, but you know, the largest and the most growing, not the largest part of the body of Christ, but the, 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 the part of the body of Christ that's growing the fastest today is Pentecostalism. The, it's, it's, the, it's the spirit-filled movement. It transcends the body of Christ. I mean, you've got a spirit-filled Episcopal folk. You've got spirit-filled uh, Lutheran folks. You've got spirit-filled Baptists. I mean, it's not Pentecostalism, spirit-filled. It's not, it's not a denomination. It's an experience. Uh, it's a faith that has received of something, and God's at work in our hearts and lives, and we're so grateful for it, aren't we? And so... So with this, though, I took you back into that, that history that it was the holiness movement that birthed the modern Pentecostal church, the modern movement. It was birthed out of the holiness movement, men and women that lived a very strict life and lifestyle. And their movement was birthed out of Wesleyan theology and the Methodist movement and the methodical approach to their faith. And the doctrine that John Wesley kind of, uh, you know, that, that he propagated so often, and that was a, a instantaneous sanctification. It was called crisis sanctification. And I can't go back and re-preach that, but, but I shared with you how that somewhere in the midst of that, at the end of that Azusa Street Revival, another minister by the name of William Durham uh, came forward with a doctrine after he received the baptism in the Holy Spirit, after he also received what he believed was Christ's sanctification, he said he could no longer preach that for he believed that the finished work of Jesus Christ at the cross was all that was necessary to make a believer uh, be able to receive the baptism in the Holy Spirit. And that from that, when that doctrine got established in the church, the, that became the prominent doctrine and, and Wesleyan doctrine of, of the crisis sanctification kind of began to, to really diminish. And so, 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 does everybody remember that, those that were here today? And if you didn't, go back on our, on our podcast and you can listen to it yourself. And so, I, I just, I just want to know for just a moment, the this, this, this doctrine of sanctification, again, became a divisive doctrine. But it's a doctrine today that really it's almost lost to the modern culture. I mean, it was at the forefront of Pentecostalism. I mean, there was no Shatakaya Mosean unless you were in pursuit of holiness. I mean, I've heard the old preachers, it was holiness or hell. Right? I mean, that's how they preached it. It was holiness. You either got right with God and your life reflected it, or they thundered from the pulpit. You were dying and going to a devil's hell. And so now we, I mean, I know this is a worn out cliche, but we have thrown the baby out with the bathwater, you know, in the midst of it. So here's a thought that I had, that I wrote it down this way. Why did a doctrine that meant so much to preceding generations mean so little to our generation? How did we arrive here at this place? Can we jump into the American culture for a moment? We've got a generation that doesn't value the Constitution. 
doesn't value the American Revolution, doesn't value the struggle for freedom, right? How, how can we, you know, just a couple of hundred years of separation from that struggle for freedom not even value the struggle that produced the freedom that allows us to even lift up our voice in the public square? And so here in the church, how is it that a doctrine that meant so much now means so little? Lost to our culture is simply the plain Bible truth. God desires, let me tell you, God desires holiness of his people. Can I say this today? You and I may partially define holiness as a life that's set apart to God. Now, I know that the blood of Jesus sets us apart in justification and we also know in sanctification, we are declared holy, positional holiness. But how many know there's a practical holiness that's got to emerge? We say it all the time is that you shouldn't, you can come to God just as you are, but you won't stay the way that you used to be. He'll produce a change in you. Let's go farther. Sanctification would include making lifestyle choices related to your attire, your entertainment. Your reading materials, come on, your sexuality, oh, Jesus, let's go there, your speech, come on, no, God, God don't want to hear all that dirty junk in your mouth, or he doesn't want to hear all those dirty songs, and, and you don't need to hear all that either. I mean, it's got to produce a separation from some things in the world. I know that it produces a separation too. You're separated from and you're separated too. It shouldn't be one without the other. In days gone by, it seemed like we overemphasized separation from. And we didn't teach people that they were separated to serve God. Now we just say, go start serving God while you're still sexually active with somebody other than your spouse. Come on, now we just say, go ahead and be a greeter in the foyer while you were at the club last night. That's, the, that's where, I mean, I'm preaching real, but I'm preaching truth in here. That's what's happened. And we swung the, the pendulum all the way to the other side. And again, Dr. Brassfield has so adequately said, sometimes the truth is somewhere right there in the middle. And so with this, it's a separation from and it's a separation to. Paul uses, let's go to Pauline doctrine for a minute to reestablish the doctrine of sanctification in your life. He uses the metaphor of a temple to compare our bodies uh, as, a, as a temple to teach this principle. So let's read it there. I've got, I'm gonna, they're going to post it on the screen. I'm going to look at it in my big Bible here on, that I have on the platform, size 16 font. And here it is. Look at this. Y all, y all, I think y'all got the scriptures there. Let's go. 1 Corinthians 6 and 11. Now remember, this is, he said, such were some of you. What were we? Well, if we read the previous verses, it's about sexually immoral. We were homosexuals. We were adulterers. We were drunkards. We were just the world. Come on. We were sinners. But now in Christ Jesus. How many know a change? We're new creatures. And he said, you used to be that. Now what happened? We're washed. Come on, he said, we're washed and we're sanctified and we're justified in the name of Jesus and by the Spirit of God. God's produced this inside of us. Is that right? Now, let's go a little bit farther then. Same context then. And so in the 19th verse, Paul's continuing to teach. The 18th verse, he encouraged, the, he challenged the, the Corinthians to flee sexual immorality. And then in the 19th verse, well, there it is, 18th verse, he said, flee sexual immorality. And then he said in the 19th verse, look at this. Do not you know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God, and you are not your own? Come on, let's just, uh, I, you don't belong to you. Come on, you belong to God. The old song said you were blood bought. 
Come on, victory sought. You stumbled in the altar, and Lord, you got caught. Come on, and you're now his. You were purchased by the precious blood of Jesus. And Paul said, so glorify God, 20th verse, where in your body and in your spirit, conscious decisions have to begin to emerge in our lives that says, I am now set apart to God. I can't live this old lifestyle. There's no good in it. So Paul is using this metaphor to teach the principle of what? Sanctification. Let me reaffirm it deeper. 2 Corinthians now. He repeats slightly. Sixth chapter of 2 Corinthians. Next book. Over. The 16th verse says this. It says, And what agreement has the temple of God with idols? For who's the temple of the living God? What's the Bible say? Who is? Is it a rock-hewn building in Jerusalem somewhere? Is it this mason and steel building that you sit in? Is that really the temple of God? Or are you the temple of God? God chooses to abide in us. Is that right? He abides in our spirit. And so here in this passage, Paul is affirming this. You're the temple of God. Now let's go farther. And he said in the seventh chapter, first verse, with that principle in our minds, if we're the temple of God, he said, you've got certain promises. And of these promises, what are you to do? You're to cleanse yourself. There's only so much I can do, right? And even God himself, he sanctified you by the blood, called you holy, declared you holy. But the practicality of holiness has got to be worked out in your own life. You've got to play a part in this somewhere along the line. And you've got to say, God, I'm going to follow the leading of the Holy Spirit. And I'm going to set my heart to be pliable to you. Because, God, whatever you don't want in me, I don't want in me. Whatever you don't want me to do, I don't want to do. Whatever I don't need to be listening to, come on. Whatever I don't need to be setting in front of me. Listen, I ain't got no time for Christians going to Fifty Shades of Sin. I'm telling you, we wonder why we don't have the anointing of God in our lives. And we wonder why our church services don't have the presence of God. Because we're so congested in our lifestyle of sin till we're grieving the Spirit of God. I'm just preaching out of my heart today. Let's go just a little bit farther. He said, so you sanctify and you do what? You perfect holiness in the fear of God. One other passage of Scripture to reaffirm this. And while you turn to that, or it's going to be on the screen, 2 Timothy chapter number 2. Now, I want to ask you this. Can you imagine God's holy temple? Paul uses the metaphor of the temple. Can, have, can you imagine God's holy temple desecrated and defiled? I want you to think about that as we go to 2 Timothy 2, verse 19 and 20 for just a moment. Paul, again, writing to Timothy exhorts Timothy he says nevertheless the solid foundation of God stands having this seal the Lord knows those who are his and let everyone who names the name of Christ you want to finish that come on did you do you do you read what it says right I mean that's placed upon us isn't it God has I love what Peter said about Jesus. It says that Christ became an example for us who did no sin. And neither was guile or sin or iniquity found in his mouth. We have an example of a holy life. And I'm telling you, when you pray, we're saying, God, change me into the image of Jesus. Jesus said, I always do the things that please the Father. That's what I want to be found guilty of, is saying, Father, God, I want you to mold me and make me and shape me. The things that are in me that are not of you burn right out by the power of the Holy Spirit. 
Give me a resolve in my heart to make a better decision than I've made in the past. Let's go a little bit farther. So now Paul says, depart from iniquity. He said, here's this great house. The word house typically in the New Testament can be translated either house or temple. There are not only vessels of gold, so there's a little bit of application of either the vessel in the house or the temple itself. And he said, gold and silver, wood and clay, some is for honor and some for dishonor. But notice the 21st verse. If anyone cleanses himself from the latter, then what will he become? He'll be a vessel of honor, and what will it be? There's that word. Sanctified, and he'll be useful for the master. Prepared for every good work. You know, when I was in the military, I signed up, and I signed my name, and, and I took the oath. But you know what? I wasn't fit for service just yet until I went to boot camp, and they stripped away some things from me. Come on, we used to sing this song, Mama, Mama, look at me. Look what the Air Force has done to me. Took away my faded jeans, and now I'm wearing Air Force greens. They took my hair. They took my identity, right? They took my clothes. In those days, yes, I did wear blue jeans. In those days, I wore, they took my blue jeans away from me. And they put me in their uniform. And they expected me to be conformed to a certain standard. And they taught me how to fold my underwear in a six-inch square. And now, thank God, Sherry folds my underwear in a six-inch square. And they put a hat on me and a name tag on me. And they put me in a process of breaking me down and then building me up. Before they sent me out to do the job that I was called to do. I'm telling you, what's wrong with the church is we're not going through, you can call it crisis sanctification or progressive sanctification. I don't want to debate the theology. We've debated it until we tossed the original intent out, and now we're just going through the motions of trying to serve God, and our lives still look like it did before we professed Christ's death at the cross. That's not the will of God. He said, you've got to cleanse yourself. You've got to make decisions that's going to alter your lifestyle. Now, this is what's really laid on my heart. I want to ask you again. Can you imagine God's holy temple desecrated and defiled? Let me take you into a little bit of the history of ancient Israel, and I'll do that for just a few moments. The history of ancient Israel is a, it's rather a, a very confounding history. It's very perplexing. A people blessed of God, called by God, set apart. Did you know they were chosen by God? Weren't they? Are y'all with me out there? I've been listening a lot to R.W. Schambach lately. That's a, a, a deceased preacher that I love hearing him, and I've been listening to him again. And, and, and I, I kind of condemn myself every now and then for saying uh, things like, um, you know, uh, say amen somebody, but man, Brother Shambach said that about 10 times in the middle of his sermons. So I need an amen somebody along the way every now and then. And I mean, it is perplexing because they were set apart. I mean, they, they had the law and the commandments and they had the glory of God. God brought them out of Egypt. Man, I mean, the waters of the Red Sea rolled back and they walked through on dry ground watching fish swim by caught in a wall of water on either side, 
got out on the dry ground, watched Moses raise the rod up again, and the waters captured their enemy, and they drowned in the Red Sea. Man, they went through the wilderness with a cloud keeping the, the heat of the desert sun off of them, and the coldness of the night, they were warmed by the fire of God. Manna fell from heaven, miracles of God, a rock, a rock burst open and watered two million men and women in the world. I mean, they've got a testimony. Man, they were chosen by, I mean, God validated his existence and his call to them. But when you read about their history, man, they, you look up and they keep stumbling right back into idolatry. Right back into, uh, they're up one day, down the next. Sounds a lot like the modern church. And, and so with this, when you see that they did choose a king, the king, if he was a godly king, he would lead the nation in revival. But if he was a wicked king, man, he would apostatize the nation. The 14th monarch of Judah, remember this, Judah was separated from Israel with the death of Solomon, Rehoboam and, and, and Jeroboam, the, Rehoboam the son of Solomon, and Jeroboam was, play, was chosen because of the division of the kingdom. There was Israel, the ten northern tribes. There was Judah, the two southern tribes. Our story today is in the story of Judah, the southern two tribes, where the capital of Jerusalem was, the 14th monarch, Ahaz. Now, when you think about the most wicked of kings, you think about Ahab, the king in Israel ruling out of Samaria. But I'm telling you, Ahaz might have been just as bad. And when you see what happened in his reign, let me tell you, he didn't reign long because he died when he was 36 years of age. But did you know he burnt? Not only did he offer sacrifice to other gods, 2 Kings 16, read that on your own later. Did you know he sacrificed his own child? He took the child that was of his, own, his wife's womb and he burned it in the fire to a pagan deity. He erected altars all throughout Jerusalem and he worshiped other gods. He adopted the perverted lifestyle of some of the, Can the Canaanites. He offered on those uh, altars sacrifice to pagan deities. He, listen to what he did. He shut the doors to the house of God. He kept God from, he kept people from accessing the presence of God. Look, at this is another thing that he did. He, he set up an altar. You know the court of, the, of, the, of Israel where they had the brazen altar first? He saw an altar in Damascus, and in uh, Damascus of Syria, he saw one, and he said, I want one like that. So he had men build it and erect it in the court, and they moved the brazen altar out of the way and moved it in the wrong place. Man, I could go with that. I could preach a sermon right there and concerning the altar experience in the, in the kingdom of God. And so they erected an altar to pagan deities and burned incense on those in the place of the brazen altar. How many remember the brazen laver? That large brazen laver where they washed, the priest washed. He cut that parts of it off. The brazen horses that held it up. I think Solomon had put 12 horses and it, it held it up on a bowl like this with those horses. He cut it off. He stripped gold out of the temple and used it to pay a ransom to the king of Assyria to help him in his warfare against the, the Syrian nation. He desecrated and destroyed many of the vessels used in worship. And the house of God became filthy and defiled. 
Can you picture that in your mind? The dedicated temple of God where people are worshiping God. The doors are now closed. There's no incense burned in the holy place. There's no showbread. There's no illumination of the candlestick. And the people of God are defiled. But I'm telling you, when God gets ready to do something, something can shift, and it can shift suddenly. And it can shift with one person. One person could start a revolution. You know what? Your life and lifestyle could be that revolution. You could be that person that suddenly said, you know what? I believe my experience with God is more than what it can be. Come on, or God, or it can be more than what it is, excuse me, if I just begin to pursue God in a passion. And his son, I know many of you Bible scholars are familiar with him, Hezekiah. Hezekiah, one time years ago when I was pastoring up in Shirley, I opened the service and I said, I want you to turn to the book of Hezekiah. And we, people began, pages began to turn. Finally, Sister Mary Pavilona said, I can't find the book of Hezekiah. Because there's not a book of Hezekiah, but there sounds like there ought to be a book of Hezekiah. But I'm telling you the story of Hezekiah, his son, and what happened in his life when he's 25 years of age, when he assumes the throne. And he begins to lead the nation of Judah in temple reformation. And I'm telling you, it's a powerful image that I've got to share with you for a few moments. Because from a few key verses, we won't be able to cover it all. I'll narrow it for the sake of time. But don't you shut me out today. I'm telling you, I believe this is a prophetic word. I, I wouldn't stand before you and say this if I didn't think that God had really spoke a distinct word in my heart that needs to be uttered. And should be spoken to the listening ears of our church. It's got to start somewhere. Hezekiah said, Lord, let it start in me. It's got to start somewhere. Chapter 29 of the second uh, book of Chronicles begins this account. I'm going to allude to just a couple of things here. I'm going to read from the fifth verse for just a moment. You can follow me if, you will, if you'd like. Stay with me. Let's just read these together. Hezekiah has opened the, the, the house of God. He's, began to re he's repaired the doors of the temple, and now he calls the Levites. And he begins to say to them, now, you got to sanctify yourself, Levites. There's that phrase again. you got to sanctify yourself. Well, I'm telling you, the preachers of our generation need a fresh visitation of sanctification in their lives. Come on, I need it in my life. I'm telling you, you know when you got a fresh anointing on your life. You can't have the smell of the world on you and the fragrance of Christ. It's one or the other. And so Hezekiah said, come on, you preachers, you got to get your act together because you're key to getting this house of God reestablished. You're the key ones. you got to get this done and get this thing right. And so let, let me go a little bit farther. He goes, and then he goes, he says, look what's happened. Our fathers have trespassed and done evil in the eyes of the Lord. And they've forsaken him. They've turned their faces away and their dwelling place of the Lord, and they've turned their backs on him. Let me go just a little bit farther in this. I believe the picture uh, here that's captured by the temple's desecration is prophetic of what an unsanctified Christian life will become. And I don't know if that's right uh, English, unsanctified, but you know what I'm getting at. Non-sanctified, unholy, whatever that means. Look at it with me because Hezekiah describes it. He said, first of all, they shut the doors. God was shut out or God was shut in. One way, depends upon how you look at it. 
And so what happens in a Christian's life that has a profession of faith in Christ but doesn't begin to progress forward in, in sanctification, it's not long before we begin to turn our back. I'm just being honest. I've watched it. I've been preaching now for 30 years, and I've watched a number of people come to faith in Christ, and then something happens, and then they begin to turn, and they begin to turn away from God. Why do we turn away from the one that loved us and hung his son on the cross to bear our iniquity to Calvary? But let's go a little bit farther. So then the daily showbread was not brought in. What happens in a backslidden condition is you stop receiving the word of God. The showbread represents the word of God. And the lampstand is not renewed and the light goes out. That's what Hezekiah said. The illumination of his spirit is no longer lighting your way. And then they no longer, because of that, they no longer burned incense in the holy place. They no longer had time for worship, no time for prayer. And they didn't offer themselves as a living sacrifice. Hezekiah's day, it was a burnt sacrifice. Our time, it's a living sacrifice. You want to be able to judge whether you're, not in a, you're in a backslidden condition or not. You can look at the example right there in the condition of the temple. The doors were shut. There was no access, no communion with God, no fellowship with God, no illumination of the Word of God, no fresh Spirit of God in their life, no new anointing in their life, no incense being offered in praise and adoration to God. And so you can see, evaluate, examine your own self. Is that how you want to live? That's not how I want to live. I want to live a life that's full of the brightness of the glory of God. I want to live a life that's filled with the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit. When people get around me, I want them to get nervous. I get tired of people saying I'm afraid to go in there on the job or in the marketplace because I'm afraid that they're going to overwhelm me. I'm telling you, you're the light. Light should shine into darkness and the darkness cannot overtake it. As long as the light of Christ is flowing on the inside of you. And so the Levites and the priests were charged with the responsibility of doing what? Sanctify themselves. There's that phrase again. Sanctify yourselves. The 29th chapter, the 15th verse. Read it there. So they gathered their brethren and they sanctified themselves. And so they did according to the commandment of the king. And notice this, so now starts the process. Keep the metaphor of the temple in your mind as well because there's an application to it individually and corporately to today's modern church. Look what happened. They first went into the inner part of the house of the Lord. Isn't that what Jesus said? First cleanse that which is on the inside and then make the outside holy. You start, I mean, God's grace always starts on the inside out, doesn't it? We are the generation that's taught people the inward work of grace, but I'm telling you, I'm looking for a generation to learn the outward work that produces an outward change in the life of a believer. And so they go in and they begin to cleanse the inner part of the house. And so the process is farther. Then the filthiness or the uncleanness. Look what it said there in the, in the 16th of verse. There it says, the debris is what the new King James would say. The King James would say the uncleanness that was brought out or the filthiness that was brought out of the house of the Lord. It took eight days to clean the house. And then it took eight days to clean the court. Now you can argue instantaneous or progressive sanctification all you want to. But I'm going to say this today. You've got to start somewhere. Come on, you got to just start somewhere and say, God, I want to get this junk out of my life. I'm tired of living this way. I'm tired of not having the presence of God on my life. 
I want something fresh. You got to cleanse yourself from all filthiness of the flesh and the spirit. Paul said you got to learn to perfect holiness in the sight of God. I thought about this as I wrote this out in my meditations. I said, why don't we start believers here? Why don't we start believers right there? So you profess faith in Christ and you believe in Jesus Christ and the atoning blood. You're now accepted. You're declared justified. You're declared righteous. Why don't we start you out in sanctification? Why don't we just say, you know what? Now you've got to sanctify yourself in the sight of God. You've got to begin to make decisions. Now listen, I understand this, but I, I wrote it this way. Before we had purpose-driven church, before we assigned you to service in the house of God, before we ask you to teach a class or be on the worship team or the serve team, how about you join the sanctified team for a little bit? Instead of going to the serve team and the worship team and the uh, security team, how about the sanctified team rise up in the midst of the kingdom of God that says, God, I want to live a life that's pleasing to you. And I want to experience what it can be like to have a fresh anointing on my life because God's not going to pour his holy oil. Oh, well, it's in here. It's in the Word. As a result of sanctifying the temple, look what began to happen. Worship is renewed. It took 16 days, but worship is renewed in the days of Hezekiah. Now, you've got to understand, three months ago, they were burning incense to pagan deities in the house of God. The door was shut. There was no illumination on the candlestick. There was not the smell of fresh shoe bread being brought into the house of God daily. There was no altar of incense with the flame of the prayers and the praise of the saints arising within the holy place in Israel. There was no priest standing between, you know, the holy place and the most holy place interceding before God. And now, because one man said, I'm going to begin to seek God, the process of restoring a nation back to worship has, um, has began. My God, what could happen in the modern church? We talk a lot about the millennials. Did you know there's a shift in the age of the, of the baby boomers that historically been the largest people group in America has now been surpassed by the millennials, and we know that, right? They barely suppress. We talk a lot about the millennials, and they are a talented group of young men and young ladies All of mine and Sherry's six children fall in the age of millennials, 20 to 30 years of age. We got six numbered in there. And I'll tell you what, what would happen if the group of millennials said, you know what? I'm going to start, not only am I going to serve God, I'm going to live a life that's pleasing to him. And I'm going to make changes. I don't care. You can talk about me on Facebook if you want to. You can Twitter it. You can do anything. You can Snapchat it. Whatever it is, I don't care. I don't care because I'm going to live a life pleasing to God. I'm telling you, we'll see a revival. We would see a revival unlike anything we've ever seen before. Let's go a little bit farther. I don't have much more, but i got to finish. It's in my heart. It would be wrong to cut this message in half and say, Pastor, I'm in a hurry. Well, I'm sorry. Those messages that I preached that I only used about 30 minutes, then you, go, you owe me some borrowed time in here today. Let's go a little bit farther. Look at this. Look what began to happen when worship was renewed. There was fire on the altar again. I won't read it. The sacrifice commenced again. The priests began to bring in the showbread. They began to trim the lamp, and they began to offer incense in the holy place. Look at the 28th and the 30th verse of this same chapter, of the 29th chapter. Look at this for a moment. Shane, I want you to think about this with me. So all the assembly worshipped. 
And the singer sang, and the, jump, and the trumpeter sounded, and all this continued until the burnt offering was finished. And when they had finished offering, the king and all who were present with him bowed and worshipped. And the king Hezekiah and the leaders, he commanded the Levites to sing praise to the Lord with the words of David. They're singing the word of God, hallelujah, and Asaph the seer. And they're singing praises with gladness, and they bowed their heads, and they worshiped. You know what the difference in between a worship service that's filled with praise and glory? We've often thought in the conflict of a worship war that happened in many churches across America, it was contemporary or it was traditional. You know what? That might not have been the issue all along. Maybe it's the fact that we got a lot of unsanctified Christians crowding into buildings uh, going through the motions of a worship service. I got news for you. It wouldn't matter if it was all hymns or all contemporary. If our lives were set on fire for God, we were sanctified and set apart, we wouldn't care what the sound was or what the note was or what word was on the screen. We would burst forth in adoration and praise to God because there's fire on the inside of us. My God, that's a good word right there. And so Hezekiah rejoices, the 35th verse, for the house of the Lord was set in order. And you know what? Look at the 36th verse. God had prepared the people, and this thing was done suddenly. It happened overnight. A shift took place. Revival can suddenly be ushered into the lives of the church. A holy life and a holy lifestyle took a desecrated temple and suddenly it was sanctified before God. And then revival began to spread. How I many you know when the church gets on fire, we don't stay in the four walls of the church? Look what happened. I want I gotta show you this. This is really powerful. I've got I know I gotta hurry and I'm taking too long, but I, I got to finish this. Hezekiah heard just the people to do something. Now I'll, I'm gonna I'm gonna probably back away from reading some of this because of the length of time of reading this. Hezekiah was so stirred. He said, we got to keep the Passover. You say, now what's wrong with that? That sounds awesome. Passover month was the previous month. That was last month. So that's like us in January saying we got to have Christmas. Right? They missed the month, but because the people weren't sanctified and the priests weren't sanctified. So he said, but you know what? We hadn't kept the Passover since Solomon. They hadn't kept the Passover for hundreds of years the way it ought to be kept. So he said, he called the people together and he said, let's make a covenant. And they, be, they wrote up a decree and they sent it out. And they said, man, sanctify yourself, come to Jerusalem and let's celebrate. And did you know when they did, some mocked. And you know what, when you begin to live a holy and a godly life before God, others are going to mock. And you know where the mocking came from? It came from other believers. And do you know who used to make the most fun of the sanctified church of days gone by? Other Christians. It's other Christians that's always pointing fingers. And I know you don't like you in, in today's culture, we want to think, well, that wasn't us. No, that's what that's us. The assemblies of God was birthed right in the midst of the holiness movement. And somewhere along the line, we have drifted so far from it, we don't even know what it's even about. And I, if God wants me to remind our church so that we can see something fresh in our lives, then I'm okay with that. Because I, I know what the byproduct, I'm going to show you something that caused me. So I, I've got to share this with you today. This is so, this, so when this decree goes out, okay, this, this might be the tipping point right here. This is when my heart melted like wax in the presence of God. I want you to see, I want to remind you real quickly of the, the plight of the children of Israel as a result of the, of the desecration by Ahaz. 
Let me go back and let me remind you of it. It's in the 29th chapter, the 8th and the 9th verse. Hezekiah described it. He said, look at this. He said, we've fallen into trouble and into desolation. Our fathers have fallen by the sword. Our sons and our daughters and our wives are in captivity. So as a result of the desecration of the temple, then the kings of the surrounding nations had come in and brought warfare against Israel, and the promise that the enemy wouldn't be able to stand before them was not empowered to work because of their sin, and the enemy had come in and took their kids captive. And Hezekiah said, look at the plight. Our fathers have fallen, our wives are in captivity, and our children are in captivity. But the 30th verse is a prophetic word. Look at this verse with me of the 30th chapter, the 9th verse. Excuse me, the 30th chapter, the 9th verse. Hezekiah said, but if you will return to the Lord. Look what he said. He said, your brethren and your children will be treated with compassion by those who lead them captive. So they're brutal captors that took your sons and daughters Hezekiah said, if we'll just sanctify ourselves and come back to God, God's sovereign Holy Spirit will move on the captives whose hearts are hardened against Him. But God holds the heart of the king in His hand, and He can turn it like a river, whithersoever He may. God will cause that pagan king to go down to the prison house and unlock your sons and daughters and send them back to the land of Israel. I'm telling you, if we would begin to sanctify ourselves, is it possible? Is it possible that our sons and daughters, that our grandchildren that have been bitten by the crystal meth serpent, is it possible that a sovereign move of the Spirit of God could be launched in our midst that would reach all the way and find them in their places of rebellion, bondage, pain, hurt, and bring them back to the house of God. What a prophetic promise today, church family. That alone ought to stimulate you enough to say, you know what, I can't go there anymore. I'm sorry, I can't drink that anymore. I'm sorry I can't put that in my body anymore because my kids are out there strung out on drugs and while I'm watching Fifty Shades of Sin in my own house. No, 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 I can't do that anymore. God has called me to be holy and I believe that if there's a holy work of the Spirit of God in my life, it will reach all the way out and pull my children and my children's children back to faith in God. I don't know about you, but that's a, that's a promise worth shouting about right there. Because I know you, and I know your family, and I know many of you grieve. You grieve because your sons and daughters are in the world. While we're unwilling to live a life of sanctification and holiness. I'm getting ready to close. Notice I carefully choose my words. Getting ready to close. It is time. Sanctification then led to... I, this is for me and JoJo and Brent and Shane and Jace and Dr. Brassfield, other ministers. This sanctification led to a tithing revival. It did. When, I mean, when they started, people started sanctifying themselves, the priests are sanctifying themselves, people started bringing their offerings to God. And read it on your own, 31st chapter. Here's what it said. 
They had so much. They had to build storehouses. They did. They had to build storehouses. And here's what it says, that God had blessed his people. God had blessed his people. God has blessed his people. And then it's a reciprocation. You bring your tithes into the storehouse, God blesses our lives. We committed our lives. We walked away from our careers and our calling to submit to the call of God upon our life. And God has rewarded it. But God, let me say this to you. God can bless each one of us. Isn't it amazing that when you begin to seek God in a new passion, that all of a sudden you find that you have money to give to God? <laughs> I wrote it this way. Listen to this. When we stop wasting our resources on carnal living, we suddenly have more money to give to the kingdom of God. Hmm. So as I close, I want you to look at this. I've got one final passage I have to show you in closing because it may be the, most, it's the second most important one today. That, first, that last one. I'm telling you, my heart fluttered, Dr. Brassfield. When I sat right here on Friday morning with a Bible in my hand and I saw a promise I'd never saw in the Word of God before, that if the children of Israel would just begin to live their life, the sovereign spirit of God would find, you got to think about that, a captive a, by, by, by brutal captors would suddenly just go, I don't know why, but let me take these keys. I'm going to let you out of bondage. And, and, and then pay your way back to the land of Israel. That's a miracle from God. And I saw that. I said, oh, my God. We're playing church where our sons and daughters are in captivity. And we're unwilling to draw close to God. Say, God, I ain't here to judge anybody else. But I'm here to say, sanctify me. Sanctify my life. Let me make better decisions. Sanctification began with the king. You want to talk about progression? And it went to the Levite and the priest. And from there, they cleansed the temple. Once the temple was cleansed and worship was restored, then the city of Jerusalem was cleansed. And they tore down the altars to the false gods. And then it said the people of the land. And then the cities of Judah, not just Jerusalem, began to tear down the instruments of idol worship. So it starts somewhere, but it don't end there. It progresses. Pentecostalism, the 600 million adherents around the world started as a few pockets of people in the midst of a holiness renewal. Said, God, I believe you'll pour your spirit out upon all flesh. And look how it's mushroomed. Can mushroom in your life. Here's my last thing to close with today. Aaron's joining me and this is their way of saying here's and he means it this time. He brings up one of those musicians, he, he's really meaning this. And I am. Aaron has been known to play for an hour, two, though, Sunday nights, right? <laughs> yeah, stretch it out, Aaron. Stretch it out. I want you to look at this last passage. I tell you, this has a lot of personal meaning right here, too. Because when you teach sanctification... Immediately you're confronted by those that say, oh, that's legalism. It's legal. No, it's not. It can become legalism, right? It is. If I follow you home with a clipboard, then yeah, I'd say, okay, we're, we're on the edge of some legalism there. But if I, if I point you towards where the Bible says, perfect holiness in the sight of God, and I continually encourage you that sanctification is a separation from that which is evil and a separation to that which is godly. 
And it's not one without the other, but it's both, right? So it's both. So now again, let's be, let's be honest as I close. Let's look at this. The pendulum. In generation gone by, sanctification was almost exclusively separation from that which is unholy. Okay? So we swung it all the way to this side here. Well, now we're separated to God. We serve God. We serve the church. We serve people. But we've let go of being separated from that which is evil. And we just do anything and everything. I'm being honest. I'm, I work in the sheepfold. I know these things. JoJo works in the youth. He really could be up here telling this story. Come on. Well, no, you know what? I'm going to correct that. There's more of an unsanctified. There's that, whether it's an official word, somebody can go. I'm sure somebody's already Google searched that. Unsanctified? I don't know if that's even a real word. There's more of that in the adult world than the youth group. There is. Because we get a hardened heart. Well, you ain't going to tell me what to do. You know what? I'm under grace. I'm not gonna be, don't be putting the law back on me. That's what we do to say, you know what? I don't want, I don't want the heirs of my life to be exposed to scrutiny. I'm not judging your life. I'm telling you, you need to judge your life. That's what I'm telling you to do. And I'm telling you, if you do it sincerely, I know how this thing works. You'll begin to change. You will. It produces lifestyle changes. So at the time of the Passover, look at this. Time of the Passover came, and you know what? Under the law, the priests had to be sanctified to offer some of the sacrifice. They didn't, ha they didn't have time to get their act together. The Bible says the Levites were more, you know, holy in essence. They, 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 they did it more quickly, got their lives right, had to do the job of the priests some. And so when it came time for Passover, the people would kill the lamb themselves in the Passover sacrifice. Uh, but they had to be sanctified according to the Mosaic law to do so. But look at this passage here. Let's close with this very, very last one. If you would, Andrea, if you would, please. And it says here that there were many in the assembly that had not sanctified themselves. So the Levites had to help them. So they had to help slay, slay the lambs because everybody was not clean to sanctify them to the Lord. 18th verse. So a multitude of the people came from all over, and yet they had not cleansed themselves. They ate the Passover contrary to what was written. So they had not cleansed themselves, so the Levite had to help them in the sacrifice, but they still participated in the Passover because Hezekiah the king prayed a prayer for them. And look what his prayer was. He said, may the good Lord provide atonement for everyone. 19th verse. He said, who prepares his heart to seek God, the Lord God of his fathers, though he is not cleansed according to the purification of the sanctuary. Verse number 20, to close it out. He said, and the Lord listened to Hezekiah and healed the people. You know what that was? That was a revelation of grace. Right in the picture, when you think about sanctification, you think about adhering to certain standards. But God said... That we're not going to judge you on, on what you're going to be, but we're going to just say, start somewhere. Just start somewhere. In this case, it was if you prepared your heart. If all that I can do is just encourage you today, church family, young and old alike, start somewhere. God is gracious. He's received you. 
Jesus prayed a prayer on the cross, and here's what his prayer was. Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. God's forgiven us. Start somewhere. Search inwardly. Say, God, I'm so grateful for your kindness in my life. And though I may not be walking in that sanctified life that I know I can, I'm going to start right where I'm at today, and I'm going to draw near to you. And I'm going to draw near to you, and I'm going to say, God, purge my heart, cleanse me, take me into deeper communion, deeper fellowship, and in the process, God, sanctify me from that which is evil. Can we stand up around this building today? I feel the Lord here today in a very special way. Our heads are bowed and our eyes closed. God, help me today to give this invitation. You're here today, number one. You don't know Christ as your Savior. You don't know Jesus. You don't know the free gift of grace, the pardon of your sins. And you say, today, Pastor, I don't know. Just I was a visitor, and I came out, but man, something is happening. I don't know what's going on on the inside of me. I, I want to know this Jesus. I want to know the one that died on the cross for me. Pastor Brown, could you pray for me today? Would you pray with me? If that's you, raise your hand. I'd like to pray with you today. If there, I, wanna, I want you to be courageous. It takes courage. It takes courage. Is that you? Anyone? Anybody today? Number two, let's be honest. Let's be honest today. I'm going to get hands going up in different ways. Number one, if you're here and you say, Pastor, I really don't even know that much about a doctrine that you're calling sanctification. Slip your hand up. Heads are bowed. Come on, to be honest, I don't really know. I'm not saying by lifestyle, I'm just saying theologically. Theologically, I really don't even know that much about it. Now, I know you are lying right now because there's only about 15 or 20 hands up. And I know that's not, I know there's more. You're just not being honest. I'm just asking you today. Say, I don't really know that much about it. I didn't know that much about it. Okay, number two, put your hand back down. Number two, though, but you know what? Pastor, I have a desire to please God, to please God. I have a desire. I just want to, you know, he, he's done so much in me and for me through his son, and I want my life and my lifestyle to bring him glory. I want my life and my lifestyle to bring him glory. If that's you, raise your hand up today. There you go. Hands are going up all across the building today. All right, put them back down last time right here. Third time is the charm. Pastor Brown, what little I do know about sanctification, I know that I need to grow in this grace. There are some things I need to let go of, and there are some things I need to pick up. I need to let go of certain lifestyle choices and embrace a new lifestyle. If that's you, slip your hand up here today. Let me see. Hands going up all across the building today. I want to ask you to do something. Other church, I'll make no apology for it. Come to the front right now, all of them, whole church family. At this time, you say, Pastor, you I'm trying to go that way, and you want me to come this way. It's got to start somewhere. It's got to start somewhere. I'm trying to, I, 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 I understand the, the doctrinal debate. I've looked at it. I do a, probably a poor job of trying to expose that to you, the historical debate between Wesleyan theology of instantaneous sanctification and then the finished work camp 
with the Durham Doctrine of progressive sanctification. I didn't want to make this a theological debate. I want this to be about a practical response to the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives. The Bible says examine yourself whether or not you're in the faith. The Bible says cleanse yourself from all filth. I can't cleanse you. We can baptize you 150 times in that tank. And we can try, but listen, unless you set your heart to be cleaned by the washing of water of the Word of God, how do you say, Pastor, how do I get sanctified the way you know? I'm telling you, begin to read and study the Word of God fresh and new with an open heart. God, show me. Show me some things. God, if there's something in my life that, that and it might not be, days gone by, we made it about your shirt length, right, or your dress length. It's a, how many know it's a lot deeper and bigger than that? It's about attitude. It's about sin in your heart, right? It's about speaking evil words, you know, being coarse and, you know, ugly. It's, it, it's so broad. But it's, it's a biblical doctrine. I didn't make this up. Paul said this, cleanse yourself. Didn't he? Pauline doctrine, cleanse yourself from what? All filthiness of the flesh and the spirit and perfect holiness in the sight of God. You know when the church got in error, I believe, when we made it a standard. We put it on the board and said, okay, here it is. Here's the model. You got to meet, read that. That's not how we do it. But what we do is we say, you search the word of God and keep your heart open before God and listen and respond to his Holy Spirit. And if you do that, I'm telling you, God begins to work in you. And you know what? I'm telling you, if you struggle to worship, when you're living a life separated from evil, worship becomes easy. I mean, I'm telling you, you, be, you fall in love with Jesus all over again. Is that right? It is. I'm telling you the truth. And then service becomes easy. It's easy to serve God. It's easy to, you just because you're so full of his grace and his goodness and his kindness. And you're not bound down by that thing that used to hinder you. Let's pray.